Welcome to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, Senior Pastor of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. Our mission is to provide practical application of biblical truth to help you experience true purpose and lasting change that can begin now. Here's Pastor Russ. As we are looking in the, at you know, this whole series, The Path of Hope, what we've been looking at is the reality, y'all. That the hope isn't just a concept. Hope isn't just a word we throw. Hope, in general, motivates you and navigates you through life. Hope in Jesus radically changes how we live. Because the hope of Jesus is why we even dare follow in a way that denies self to allow him to be glorified. The hope of Jesus is what transforms our mind about what is priority. The hope of of Jesus transcends hopelessness. Hope is always alive. It's always alive. When things are going great, hope is alive. When things are going badly, hope is alive. When you're in between, hope is alive. The hope of God never changes because his truth and who he is never changes. And his plan for you never changes. And no matter how old you are or where you are, there is a plan for you that you are connected to because of the grace of Jesus. Because of the grace of God the Father through Jesus. See, that all is to say... Principles are great, concepts are great, but sometimes it's like, well, how do, what do, how do you even, uh, how does hope become a living hope, right? Living hope. I think it's easy to think we have hope, but we, if we really look at it, sometimes our hope could actually be in the things that we have and the people that we know. It's very easy to place our hope in temporary things. And as things are difficult for us, this is where we could really begin to learn what true hope looks like and feels like and how it moves you and motivates you. In Romans 12, 2 says this, one of my favorite verses, we look at it all the time, and do not be conformed to this world. Let's all say that together. And do not be conformed to this world. Let's say this together. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now watch what the payoff is that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You all, first and foremost, a renewing of the mind is where we start as believers. Our faith is rooted in that we are sinful creatures and need saving. We need the spirit of God in us and that our minds have been brought up in a sinful mindset, a mindset that is not with God, but against God, a God, a mind that is for ourselves and not for God and a renewed mind. What we're going to see is how we connect to the hope of God. And the hope is there is a perfect will of God in all things. There is a perfect will of God in all things, especially those of you who are facing extreme difficulty. 
Those of you that are very confused and in a dark place, there is a perfect will of God that you can discern and detect and hear. But it comes at the expense of having your mind transformed. That word renewing of your mind means renovation. Any renovators in here? I am not one. (laughs) Renovation. For the most part, when you renovate, you throw out the old stuff. You take out the old floor, you scrap it, you get rid of it, and you put in the new floor. You knock out walls, you take out the old walls, and you open up space. You do a lot of things that require throwing out the old. We, our minds are being renovated, meaning some things have to be thrown out and replaced with good things. The mind means intellect, but not just intellect. It means thought, feeling, and your will. Basically, where your life resides. And there are thoughts that have to be thrown out. There's emotions that need to be thrown out, meaning they don't dictate how you live. They don't dictate how you make decisions. There is sin, obviously, that needs to be thrown out, which has to do with the will, your will. So as we are renewing our minds, we are detecting those things that need to be literally ripped up and thrown out and replaced. We need to know what to replace it with, right? If the hope is real, if there's a real hope, if there's a perfect will of God for you, there has to be something that you replace as you're throwing out the old to help discern the will of God, right? And it starts in the mind. But what do we do? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. Because let me guess, for many of us, there's been times when we're facing frustration and difficulty. We're facing things that are making us not feel very important, or we're afraid, or we feel like we're losing things, or we're confused. The tendency is to go out to the dumpster and bring that old floor back in. Right? Because you haven't really learned how to use the new. It's just there, but you're like, I'm more comfortable with this sin or with this coping mechanism or with this thought or with this emotion. I'm more comfortable with it. And so we we don't discern the will of God because we're too busy trying to protect ourselves and help ourselves. So I want to show you something. Let's look at, again, Acts 16.25. We went over this passage last week. If you were not here, um, listen to last week's message. But what we find is Paul and Silas in prison. They were in prison wrongfully. They were beaten. They were whipped. They were thrown in to the inner part of the prison, the darkest part, chained to the wall. And let me preface this by saying Paul and Silas were human beings. They were called. They were gifted. But they were human beings that had to exercise their will. And as we see how they respond to difficulty, know that they grew in their faith. They grew in the knowledge and understanding of God's will. They learned to employ these new tools, these new coping mechanisms, these new thoughts, these new They knew how to employ the things of hope and not of the flesh. And so here you find them, it says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. We have to just stop right there. In the middle of all this, they exercise their will to pray. That word pray means to supplicate and to worship, to ask and to worship. They were doing both through their prayers. They were asking and they were worshiping as well as singing. 
They just weren't born like this. I just sing and pray every time something's wrong. I've always done that. I came out of the womb, praising the Lord. It's learned. They had a real living hope. And their minds were transformed so that they saw their situation from an eternal perspective more than a personal perspective. And they were praying. They were praying. One more time. They were praying. Praying is one of the most powerful tools we have to discern the will of God and to connect to the hope and faithfulness and goodness of God is through prayer. And prayer is not a formula. It's not something you only do once a day. It is constant. Prayer is communication. And I did a word study on this word prayer. And I love doing a word study because if you go far enough back, you start to uncover some really cool things. See, this word prayer is a combination of two Hebrew words. And the first struck me. The first word, it's a preposition of direction, of forward or toward. The word pray is, 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 has a directional meaning. It's directional. It's facing. It's looking. It's choosing what you look at, what you're facing. And the other is to wish. The other word is means to wish or to ask. But I want to land on the reality that prayer is directional. Prayer is your active, your active way of facing God. Who's ever said, man, I'm facing some difficulty? Or you know someone, I'm facing some difficulty. Yeah, you are. Here's the tendency, and I'm only speaking from my experience. Here's the problem. I'm facing it. I'm analyzing it. I'm throwing all sorts of scenarios at it. I'm mad. I'm upset. I'm scared. So I'm like, God, look. God, look. This, this is going to destroy me. This is going to do this. I'm afraid. I'm not, I'm not. God, look. But I'm facing. I'm fa- this is consuming me. I'm having God look over my shoulder. The essence of prayer found in this root word is about saying, okay, that's there. I'm facing God now. I'm facing toward God. That takes a lot of renovating. (laughs) Easier said than done. Guys, when we face difficulty, we literally face it and absorb it and allow it to make us feel. And it dictates our will and our thoughts. You see, that hopelessness or that anxiety or that fear of whatever it is, rejection or whatever it is, is forcing us to make decisions that aren't in line with the will of God. But we're praying. But we're saying, fix this according to my will. Instead of going, all right, Lord, I'm going to absorb you right now. I'm going to face you and I'm going to declare your goodness. See, prayer is a way of saturating your mind with the truth of who God is. 
Prayer is a way of looking at God and just asking for help and submitting your requests and glorifying his name. Even when things are really not looking real certain, he hasn't changed. And so we look and we gaze upon the things that are unchanging and faithful and a God who can do all things and a God who has created you for a purpose and will not let you go. And no matter what you're facing, he is with you and he's in you, he's before you, he's over you. But yet we choose to say, I'm going to ignore that and I'm going to face this. And if I don't fix this myself, I'm hopeless. No, God has given you gifts and talents and you, yes, he has given you a brain. He's given you a way to navigate in terms of intelligence, but he wants it submitted to him. And he wants, I don't want to get a hold of of myself. Faith becomes, or prayer becomes, the new action. Just think about what is your first instinct when you're facing some really difficult situations? What's your first instinct? I just, I know mine, and I ain't going to preach it. I think a lot of times the point of conflict is either where you can, a lot of times the old man and woman comes back up because we don't know any other way. And that's when you backslide, Right? That's when you start doing things that you wish you weren't doing, but you need to because or else things are just going to get out of control. I don't know what your scenario is. But when prayer becomes the first reaction, it changes everything. Instead of facing the problem, we face our God. Yay, a faith phrase. We love our faith phrases. Often there's no depth to it and we don't know how to apply it. Let go and let God. (laughs) Well, how do you do that? If it was that easy, I would have done it years ago, pastor. Thanks for the bumper sticker. Thanks for the magnet. Right? Come on, we got to be real. We can get all jazzed about a real powerful statement, but then you're like, oh, How? Face God and not the problem. That's so good, Russ. How? I'm like, "Uh, I don't know. It takes work. Often, if we're not careful as teachers, we can gloss over the real psychological aspect of all of our lives and the difficulty that exists here and just throw you phrases and throw you truth and not even address the difficulty of it. So how do we face God and not the problem? Well, thank goodness the word can give us some direction. Let's look at 1 John 5, 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have. How confident are you in your prayer life? That if we ask, what's that word? Anything, ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, we're going to dissect this a little bit, but just in this one verse, there are so many powerful applications of what prayer is and what, how we are to approach prayer. The first is, he goes, if we ask, if we ask, let me tell you from my experience, often I forget to ask. 
I see the problem. I see, and I'm not talking huge problems. I'm even talking baby problems that still drive me to resurrect the old man. I forget to ask. Why don't we ask? If you believe God is real and is with you and can do all things, why aren't you asking? Why are you coping through your own mechanisms? Thank you. (laughs) See, it preaches itself. Pride. Pride has everything to do with building self up, protecting self. Jesus has nothing to do with pride. He has nothing to do with self-righteousness because none of us are worthy. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But yet we put ourselves above other people because we need to feel better than other people. And then when people rattle us, what do we do? We lash out and we handle problems. But as a child of God, you are humbled and say, Lord, I am not worthy. Help me. We ask. We ask. Wow, this is a stupid problem. Why would I ask? This is dumb. He doesn't care about this. There's people that are dealing with a lot worse things than me. No, your life is your life. You can't help what other people are struggling with, but your issues and difficulties are just as important to God because they're difficult to you. And there are areas where God is going to build you and renew you if you allow him to. So we ask. And this is ask anything. This is another one. Often, I'll, there's a silly situation going on, but it's stirring me up. And I'm like, I'm not going to, like, again, I'm not going to bother God with this. This is dumb. This, this is ridiculous. Ask anything. Ask anything. Just ask anything. He's not promising an answer. He's just ask anything. Why am I saying this? Why are we looking at this? Because it's in the trenches. It's in these little things where we can often stumble. And if we learn that in all things, we submit our requests and we pray continuously, our first instinct and our first reaction now becomes one of connecting with God in our hope, discerning his will, instead of resting on our own understanding and making a ton of mistakes. And then months later going, man, I wish I didn't do that, but I know why. Prayer is the product of a renewed mind. It's what you install. Prayer is what you install. What do you throw out? Your own understanding, your own will, your own sinful ways of coping. And you pray because you are literally dialing into a perfect will, but it takes discipline, right? Philippians 4, 6. I think most of us who've been in church for any amount of time have heard this. It's all over the place. Be anxious for nothing. Okay. But no, what's he say? He says, don't live in anxiousness. Don't let anxiousness determine your decisions. Don't let anxiousness navigate you through life. He's like, don't be, don't be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Would you say that word? In everything by prayer, that's the worshipful type of prayer. And supplication, that's the asking. In everything by prayer and supplication with what? Why? Are you thanking him that the situation is so terrible? No, you're thanking him. You're full of thanksgiving because he is unchanging. 
He's immovable. His promises over you have not changed. His grace has not changed. He is with you. The plan for your life is still intact. No matter what you're facing, he is renewing you. So it could be difficult, but you know the promise is that he is in you, renewing you, making you new. That's the thanksgiving. You're not rejoicing because this is so terrible. Oh my goodness, I love this. Keep it coming. The thanksgiving is rooted in the hope and in the knowledge of who God is. And he goes, let your requests be made known to God. Now watch this. And the peace of God. And who's ever made a decision out of anger? Who's ever made a decision out of fear? Who regretted that decision? (laughs) How much easier is it to make a decision when you have peace? How much easier is it to make a decision when you know God has spoken? So he promises not the answer but peace, so you can discern the will of God. The clutter is removed. All the noise begins to settle, so you can begin to hear. And sometimes we just got to pray and pray and do this and worship and submit requests and just keep doing that, you know, and it's more, and I believe because it says here, God's peace will eventually come if you give it time. But we throw up these little quick Frisbee prayers and then go on our way, thinking that's going to do something. We got a lot of renovating, and there's a lot of garbage you got to throw out in that dumpster. Which surpasses all understanding. I mean, you you ain't going to understand the peace, but you're going to have it. So receive it and allow it to do its work. And it will what? Guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Guard from what? (laughs) Ourselves. We are our own worst enemy. And yes, there is an enemy of the soul. There is a spiritual battle that we can't see. But see, if he can get us to bite on pride and to make us believe that sinful ways out are the best ways out, we have to be guarded from ourselves. Too often, we think too much of ourselves. We don't seek the peace of God because we think we know. And so our prayer lives are non-existent because we think we know everything. We think we got it figured out. (laughs) you don't does God have a perfect will yes is it something you can understand on your own no so why aren't we praying more we have to be guarded from ourselves we can't be left alone or we make a mess out of things amen I'm going to share this. I shouldn't. <laughs> Nicole was at rehearsal on Thursday. And I was watching. and I'm not watching. I mean, my 12-year-old was with me. I was watching TV and hanging out. For a couple hours. <laughs> Didn't check on her. She had a friend over. Didn't check. Finally go upstairs, and there's red stuff everywhere. Our basset hound has red over his face. And... Oh, it's fuchsia. My bad. <laughs> it was fuchsia. My daughter decided to color her own hair. Go in the bathroom, it looks like a murder scene. So I'm like, Mommy's coming home. I'm scrubbing, like, like a murder scene. I'm getting rid of the evidence in the shower. I'm like, what did you do? I dyed my hair. Why? Because I wanted to. Why? 
It's everywhere. And I'm scrubbing and I'm scrubbing and I'm doing all this. And Nicole comes home, you know, and she's like, what? You know, Mary dyed her hair. Why? Were you watching her? Were you guarding her from herself? No, I wasn't. She's like, classic dad. I was fine. Everything was good. It was quiet. That's a good sign to me, not to a mom. (laughs) That's when trouble is happening. I'm like, everything is under control. So our poor basset hound now has fuchsia cheeks. It's in the carpet. It's everywhere. But you know, Mary's hair looks okay. But again, I wasn't guarding her. I don't guard myself all the time. I have too much trust in who I am. (laughs) That's not how we are to live if we have a living hope. The hope is there's a will outside of my own will that could pass my understanding. And I just need to stop and ask and pray and worship and declare his goodness and wait. And there's little decisions or sometimes you just make them. You know, there's some details like, what am I going to have for breakfast? What am I going to do? There's things that we make decisions over. But you know the ones that push you to the brink between flesh and spirit. And that's where we have to stop. And he says, ask anything according to his will. In no way does what you pray for guarantee that you're going to receive it. The more you pray, the more you can discern his will. You pray yourself into his will because it's already there. And then all of a sudden, when you begin to sense his will, you're praying according to it. Your prayer life changes because it's not about you anymore. It's about God. It's about his will. So often, sometimes just asking his Lord, help, help, let your will be done because I don't know what to do. Help, may your will be done. And you see, it's a practice. It's renovation. It's the new tool. What's in place now. It's Lord, help, help, help. Don't be afraid to ask, and you worship him through your, your prayers. You declare his goodness, trusting that he will answer, and that he will give you peace, and that peace will lead to understanding. But often it's after the fact. We're like, oh, yeah, I was a mistake. We need to be guarded from ourselves. We're not as wise as we think we are. There's a lot I want to say there. Humble people are humble. Humble people don't say, I'm humble. Right? Then you need to be humbled. Prideful people pump themselves up in front of other people. Humble people recognize that I am sinful and need help. And that this person is no better than me. And I have to exercise the grace of God through me to glorify God. However you'd have me do that. Look what Jesus says, John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do what? You can do a lot of things, but in God's eyes, it's nothing because it's not his plan for you. If you've obtained this through your own understanding, exercising your will, through your messed up emotions and all this stuff, you haven't accomplished anything. But man, if prayer becomes the primary way in which we deal and navigate through life, we can do something. Woo! 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Do you see? If you abide in me, soon you're going to be asking the things of Jesus' heart. Do you know how much work it takes to abide? A lot. A lot. It's constant. Abiding isn't coming to church once a week. There's a lot of people do that that aren't really believers anyway. They just do it because they've been sold a false bill of goods. Being a believer in Jesus means you are abiding constantly. It does not mean you're perfect, but you are very much aware of your sin, very much aware of your need for help, very much aware of how good he is, how graceful he is, how merciful he is, how powerful he is, how, what he's declared over you. And it's like you want to work to keep abiding in it, right? Like any relationship, you need to abide in it for it to grow. Same with Jesus. So he's saying, come on, y'all, you have to abide in me. And as you're abiding in me, and that comes through the word, it comes through prayer, it comes through worship. You see, this is why worship music, listening to it more often than secular music is important. I'm not saying anything about secular music. I'm just saying worship music connects you to the promise of God. Where secular music might hit that anger part. That's why I used to like metal. And still do. <laughs> yeah! Yeah! Angry! Right? Worship music can take you out of it. Amen, Zach? Way FM, right there. Listen to Way FM. Regional manager takes care of all that. Come on, Zach, you do an incredible ministry. Thank you. Incredible ministry. I didn't mean to embarrass you, but I just did. Because <clears throat> God told me to. You will ask for what you desire. Your desires become God's desires. Oh, wow. Sorry, why am I so excited? But by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. He wants you to bear fruit, you all. God isn't up there playing some sinister game with your life. He wants you to bear fruit. And that fruit comes by connecting through prayer constantly and consistently and filling your life with his word and worshiping him so you can find yourself in the middle of a prison and you are worshiping and praying and asking so fruit can be a result. So let's go back to Act 16, verse 26. I want you to see something. So here they are praying, doing their thing. Suddenly there was what? A great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself. For Let's all say this together. For we are all here. Guess what their prayer wasn't for? To escape. I would have been praying for release. They connected to the will of God and God answered their prayers by shaking the prison and releasing them to create an encounter with the prison guard to save him and his family and to birth the church in the city of Philippi. That's being connected to the will of God. Did they have every reason to be angry? Yes. Were they hurting? Yes. Could they feel hopeless in the middle of this dark prison, beaten to death? Yes. But they prayed. 
and they worshiped. And when God moved, they knew what they needed to do. They said, we are here. That passes understanding. I'd have been running for the hills. God freed me. But I'm staying. Hopefully this is making sense. Hopefully this is encouraging you. All of us can grow in prayer. Come on. Jesus prayed constantly. But he was God. Yeah, he was God. He demonstrated what it is. He was constantly connected with his father through prayer. He would go away and pray for hours and hours and hours and hours. He was constantly praying. If he did it, don't you think we need to? Let's not be too wise in our own eyes. Because there's good stuff on the other side. Come on. I want to show you. Let's go all the way back to 2 Chronicles. Chapter 20. You want to see prayer in action, the type of prayer that we're talking about, the type of prayer that is worshipful, the type of prayer that is full of supplication, the type of prayer that's not facing the issue at hand, but facing God and declaring his good. Watch this. It's the same God that we serve. And it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea from Syria. And they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat, what did, he, what did he do? He feared. Is there anything wrong with experiencing fear? No. It's what you do with it. It's what you do with it. He had every reason to be fearful. They're going to get wiped out. There's no way they can defeat this army that is coming against them. He feared, and then what did he do? He set himself to seek the Lord. He heard about this, feared, and then set himself to seek the Lord. Same equation, same process. Watch. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. Now, the whole nation of Judah is gathered together in prayer. He goes, all y'all, we got to pray. All of us. Because we're all going to be affected. And all of us have a right and a reason to be fearful. But we all need to set our gaze upon the Lord and not on the problem. So Judah gathered together to ask help. Ask what? Yeah, help. Duh. (laughs) Help from all the cities of Judah. And they came to what? Seek the Lord. Now watch this. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, Oh Lord, watch, listen to his vocabulary. Oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? That is a prayer of worship. That is declaring the reality and the truth of God in the face of your problems and worshiping him. Speaking the truth of who he is. And he continues. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? 
And now they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before the temple and in your presence. For your name is in the temple. And cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now he goes, All right, Lord, just in case you weren't aware. There are some people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they have turned from them and did not destroy them according to your will. But here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you had given us to inherit. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no what? Power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. But look at this statement. But our what? Eyes are upon, not here, but here. This is what prayer looks like. This is what it is to renovate and be transformed and not conform to this world who will say, take care of business how you know how to take care of business. Elevate yourself. Protect yourself. We worship. And now all Judah with their little ones, their wives, and their children stood before the Lord. And this word stand is about a posture of staying set with their gaze, not moving. Oh, we continue to look here and not here. We continue to look here and not here. And the whole family, there's a whole nother note. How you handle business as a family when you deal with difficulty. Teaching your kids to stand together facing the Lord. Whether they want to or not, they're seeing the example set in place. It's a family thing. If you could train your kids in a way to perceive problems and show them what it is to have your first instinct be to pray and to worship and to ask. See, it becomes a norm. But if everything is about being driven by fear and handling it on your own, what are we teaching our kids? Anyway, we'll do a whole another message on that. <coughs> then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jahaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite. Wow, that's a long introduction. Of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord. See, they needed the word of the Lord to be spoken because back then they didn't have the Holy Spirit. So they needed prophets to declare the word and the will of God. So the spirit of God came up on Jahaziel and now he is speaking the will of the Lord. He says this. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. Yes, your understanding says to be afraid. I'm telling you not to. For the battle is not yours. But who? Oh my goodness. Spoken to them, but for all of us. This battle was not theirs. Even though it was, it was not. It was God's. So why not face who the battle is really between? God and the issue. And he says this, do not be afraid nor dismay because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours but God. Now watch this. But tomorrow go down against them. You just got done saying the battle's not mine. Now I got to go face it? Uh Uh-huh. But not in your own will. 
It doesn't mean we just sit. Battle's not mine. I'm just going to let him do whatever he's going to do. There's an active participation in it, right? But you have peace guarding your mind from yourself so that you could walk in the will of God and deal with the battle and let him deal with it through you, right? So, tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come back by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this battle. Okay? Position yourselves. Stand still. That doesn't even make sense. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Wow. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. This is what it is to discern the perfect will of God. And it may not make sense, but if God is leading you and for you and in it, he's going to take care of it. He just needs you to comply. And that's what prayer does. It's your navigation. Come on. Guys, we could do incredible things if we all can adopt this at a whole nother level. Now watch. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord in the presence of their enemies, worshiping the Lord. And then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, God of Israel, with voices. I love this. What? Loud and high. Because they were facing their God and worshiping him in the presence of the issue. When's the last time you just sang at the top of your lungs just to get those thoughts out of your mind? And you prayed the Lord, praised the Lord, declared his goodness over you. <laughs> It's a battle. So they rose early in the morning and went into the wilderness of Tekoa. And they went out and Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me now, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be what? <clears throat> Established. Believe his prof- prophets and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people. Now watch his tactic. His military tactic. I don't think this exists right now in the military. He appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. All right, everybody, sopranos, altos, baritones, go. Take care of business. We're going to sing them to death. Guys, this is nonsense. Do you see why the will of God can often be beyond what we can understand in our capacity? This makes no sense. But how did they get to here? They prayed. And they worshiped. And they prayed. And they worshiped. And they asked. And God spoke. Now, when they began to sing and praise the Lord... They set ambushes against the people. The Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, everybody was dead. Problem solved. They looked toward the multitude and there were dead bodies falling on the earth. No one had escaped. We serve the same God. Come on. Hope yields 
expectation. Expectation is this, that our God is for us and our God has a perfect will no matter what we're facing and he will lead us and he battles through us and sometimes even ahead of us. But we need prayer to connect us to that reality, to give us a mind of peace, to protect us from our own selves. And God can do his business. Because they easily could have said, nope, not doing that, not singing. We're going to go, we're going to actually use swords and stuff. A praying people, a praying people. That's who we are created to be. You imagine if all of us adopted this at just insane levels, what would begin to happen in our lives? How we can grow instead of wasting time sinning. Some of you just need to hear that. Please stop sinning and wasting your time. I know it's easier said than done, but you're wasting your time. That's not how you cope. You're being renewed if you allow God to renew you. Pray, pray. He knows your heart. He knows how difficult he is. He knows what you're struggling with. He is there because he's the God who sees and knows. Oh, I'm excited. Amen. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you that you still declare yourself the God of the universe. Lord, you still are who you are, even though we may falter in connecting to that. Lord, you continually remind us of who you are. I pray that each heart here was stirred. Lord, I pray that your spirit would continue to stir and that we'd be so aware of these little battles in our life where we give in to sin and give in to old ways. Where you, Lord, I would pray that we can allow you in as we pray through it. And Lord, there's, I know there's a few people in here that just, they're, just they're, they're burdened about the things that they have spoken over people because they were mad. Because, what, Lord, help release them from that condemnation. And if anything, Lord, give them new words that they could speak to those same people so that they could grow and that you would be glorified. Nothing is wasted in your arms, Lord, and in your hands. Lord, help us all. Help us all grow in the knowledge of you. May our prayers learn to be connected more and more to your will as we submit our entire lives to you, Lord. You are worthy of all. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lord. And it's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, an outreach of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. To contact Pastor Russ, visit his website at russfalachi.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, an alive faith is an applied faith.